Your world is you. I am my world. Fact. Be gone. You're listening to Burdens, the podcast. I'm your host, Drew Kaiser. Every month I tell stories about crooked priests, crestfallen kings, damaged soldiers, witches, giants, and always prophets. Think thousands of years ago somewhere. The way it could have been, not the way it was. A world of dreams, prophecies, and wonders. A world like ours, filled with pain, tragedy, doubt, but also faith and redemption. A world where you just might encounter yourself. This is not your world, not mine. It's somewhere in between, in between. You're listening to Burdens, the podcast, episode 13, Ashes. Have you ever thought about those sacrifices under the Old Covenant? They took actual living, breathing animals and slaughtered them. The priests did a lot of that work, but in some cases, I believe, if it were a peace offering, Uh, the person giving the offering would actually do the slaughtering personally. You know, I don't think it was any different then than it is now. Humans get attached to animals. I've always been told not to name an animal that is headed for the slaughterhouse because giving it a name, well, it, it builds a connection there. If this is going to be a source of food, you don't want to get connected to it. We give our pets names because we want that kind of connection. I don't think the world is any different now than it was a long time ago. People have always had an intimate connection with animals. And it's not that we believe that they're equal to us, at least some of us don't believe that. We still get attached to them. We have pets, we have even farm animals we're really close to. That's why there are all these movies with talking animals. We just like to think and imagine that animals have some kind of consciousness, some kind of knowledge of us, but we really don't know what's going on in their heads. When I read the Old Testament and look at the sacrifices, I believe it was important for the people to have a connection to the animals. Now the priests, they used that meat for food. But it was important for them to know there was a connection. Today we go to the supermarket and we buy meat and it doesn't look like it used to be an animal. It just looks like food on a shelf. But they had that connection. They knew about sacrifice. That's what the animal offerings were. They were sacrifices. The blood meant something, it cost something, and it signified someone who was to come later. If we miss that point, we miss the whole 
reason for the animal sacrificial system under the Old Covenant. This is a story about sacrifice. Ashes The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. Isaiah 61 The old man rose before dawn and went to the small enclosure where he kept the little red heifer. She was happy to see him, and he spoke to her softly as he looped the rope around her neck and led her out into the meadow. He lived in the Negeb and had a long journey to make. It was nearly 80 miles to Shiloh, a four-day journey through the hill country, especially when traveling with the heifer. Come on, girl, he said, tugging at the rope around her neck. The Lord has blessed us with a beautiful morning. He was making the long journey with the little red heifer because of a fitful dream in which the old master, now long dead, had disturbed his sleep to issue the command to make a trip to Shiloh. These nighttime visitations were common. The master couldn't just rest after being gathered to his fathers like everyone else. He considered the afterlife the perfect headquarters for sending dispatches through the dark channels of the netherworld into the old man's head. The master treated the old man the same way in death as he had in life, dispassionately and with unyielding authority. And dreams were the perfect delivery system for his demands. Before the old man could ask any questions, his master would send some terrible image, a friend missing his skin or some foul shadow released from the depths of hell, a vision too awful to sleep through, and he would wake up before he could protest. Go to the house of Dathan the farmer and fetch a red heifer without blemish, the master ordered in one of these dreams. Do not turn to the right or to the left. He wore a stern look on his face. His beard was on fire, and the old man caught a whiff of the acrid smell of burning hair. Take the heifer to Shiloh, the master continued, to a place outside the sanctuary, and deliver it into the hand of the priest who is over the sacrifices. Then go your way. But it is the season for planting, the old man began to say. Just then the smoke began to sting his nose. At first he thought it was his master's beard, until he looked down and saw flames lapping at the hem of his garments. He woke up howling. His straw mattress was in flames. The lamp he kept at his bedside had fallen over and set his bed on fire. The old man smothered the flames using the corners of his bed sheets, his adrenal glands challenging the capacity of his heart muscle. When the fire was out, he rose as if narrowly escaping death by being burned alive were a normal way to start the day. Having acquired the heifer a few days earlier from Dathan by trading a little wheat and a few shekels of silver, the old man and Abigail, that's what he called the heifer, started their journey for Shiloh. The old man, of course, knew exactly why people carried red heifers to Shiloh, although Abigail, who was very young and naive to the ways of the world, obviously did not. 
The first day of the trip was uneventful. The old man walked the plains of the Negeb with Abigail blithely trailing behind, the rope hanging between them with plenty of slack. They came to Beersheba late that afternoon, where one of the ancient wells of the patriarchs was. The old man smiled as he watched a group of young boys play in the meadows. The farmers had been clearing land, and where a small grove of acacia trees once stood, tall grass undulated in the wind like waves. The lilies and fennel were in bloom, and hyssop grew in thick patches here and there. The boys leaped through the fields holding sticks high above their heads in triumph, while their battle cries filled the air, winning victories without fighting any wars yet, imagining spoils, not knowing their price, the bone and the blood. The old man was sitting on the side of the well when a young girl interrupted his reveries. She stared at him with big, dark eyes that looked like they might have been a better fit for a face larger and older than her own. Would you like me to draw water for you, mister? That would be very nice, and please don't forget my friend here, he said, patting the heifer. She's pretty. What's her name? Oh, you're not supposed to name a red heifer, especially one as beautiful and perfect as this one. You could get attached. I see, said the girl solemnly. Her name's Abigail. The girl brightened at the name of the heifer and reached out to stroke her forehead before placing a bucket of water down for her to drink. Are you alone? the girl asked, turning back to the old man. Aside from Abigail, yes. Do you have any family? No. Why not? Well, child, I suppose it just wasn't the Lord's plan. The old man plunged his face into another bucket the girl had given him. After scrubbing his head and neck with the water, he sunk a finger into one of his ears down to the first knuckle and began twisting it violently while snorting loudly to clear out his sinuses. After he was satisfied he had gathered every last molecule of loose phlegm into one place, he worked it into his mouth and gave a mighty spit. He started cleaning his teeth with a twig. My master had a wife, he said. The tooth cleaning regimen gave him a speech impediment. She was the most patient woman I ever met. The Lord took her when she was very young, before she had borne any children. He never got close to anyone after that. He was a good teacher, wise, and always true, but he never seemed to like me. I think he was jealous of me. Jealous? asked the girl. Her eyes ran a path from the old man's sandaled feet, up the camel hair cloak, over the worn leather belt, the frail chest, the wiry beard, and to the blue eyes straddling a crooked nose. Jealous over how I never married, said the man. I think he wished he had remained as I was. But didn't he love her? Oh, yes, very much. But I don't think he considered love to be worth the pain that had to follow. You're too young to understand this. I understand, she said. Yes, the old man laughed. I can see that you do. You see, it's like this. There are basically two kinds of people in this world. Those who value love enough to pay its price and those who think they want to love but feel differently when they realize how much it costs. Love is not cheap, and some don't want to pay its price. My master thought he wanted love, but when he realized how much it cost, he tried to return it. But you can't, so he made himself miserable, envying me, wishing he had never loved in the first place. I think love, even if you are able to be with the one you love for only a moment, is worth any price. 
We'll see, my child. He tossed the fouled water into a patch of weeds beside the well. Thank you for your kindness. Abigail and I had best be getting on. The prophet and the little cow headed north through the streets of Beersheba. The children skipped along beside them, petting Abigail as they passed by. Some offered her a few sprouts of alfalfa, which she gladly accepted. The adults were too busy to notice this odd procession led by the beggarly old man and his four-legged companion. The women kneading their dough hardly noticed them as they passed their kitchen windows. The farmers coming in from the fields unwittingly became temporary members of the party as it marched through the town, but each one of them broke rank with it as they passed their homes, never knowing that, as far as the children were concerned, they had been a part of history. The same indifference showed on the faces of the merchants, who were packing up their wares in the marketplace, although the butcher watched the heifer as she strolled by, viewing her more in parts than as a whole cow. The sun was going down as they reached the outskirts of Beersheba, and one by one the children abandoned the procession for home, where supper awaited them, waving goodbye to the man and his red companion. The next day they came to the hill country on the outskirts of Hebron, one of the cities of refuge. The old man was holding up as well as he could be expected for a man his age. He was accustomed to hard living and felt confident that he had the strength to make the journey. His frailty did not concern him. What did concern him was that for the last several miles, he couldn't shake the feeling he was being watched. He had grown accustomed to the eyes of the Creator on his every move, even his thoughts. But this was different. Someone was following him through the thickets of the back country. Someone with bad intentions. He had a general idea where the stalker was. He needed to learn his exact location so that he could keep from being ambushed and left his food for the jackals. Stopping at a little stream, he let Abigail drink while he slowly made his way around her pretending to examine her hide to see if she had any ticks or cuts. When he came to the side of the animal opposite he thought the stalker might be, he pretended to attend to the heifer while stealthily peering over her backbone at the brush behind them. The hill country in those parts had little vegetation, just a few scrub brushes and acacia groves, and he counted only three or four good hiding places. The old man took his time, fiddling with the cow's hide, while keeping his eyes on the brush. He had narrowed the hiding places down to two possibilities. There was movement in the brush to his left. Was that his stalker? Or just a bird flapping its wings? No, the movement was too slow and cumbersome to be a bird. The old man decided to flush him out. All right, I know you're in there. Why don't you come out so we can get acquainted? Nothing happened at first. The thief, or whatever he was, was either new at this, or he wasn't accustomed to somebody getting the drop on him. The old man kept the heifer between himself and his follower. Look, I can stay here as long as you want to play this game, but sooner or later you're going to have to come out. You've been following me for some reason. Come out and show yourself. Larger movement in the brush indicated that whoever was in there had decided to come out and was pulling himself up to confront his quarry. A young man emerged, no more than twenty, athletic, but shorter than average. He was bare-chested and wore a deerskin breechcloth around his waist, and he carried a dagger strapped to his left hip. His hair was thick and black, and he showed a straight row of teeth, 
as white as milk when he sneered. "'What do you want, son?' asked the old man, irritated that he had to be the first to speak. "'Put whatever you have of value on that rock, leave the cow, and I'll let you walk away from here with both of your arms.' "'I get to keep both my arms,' the old man chuckled. "'Now, that's a bargain. This is no joke.' I've killed before, and I can kill you. You can walk away now, or I can strike you down. It makes no difference to me one way or the other. Either way, I'm leaving here with your valuables and with that cow there. The old man seemed bored, and he gazed at the sky, watching a kettle of vultures circling overhead. I wonder who's dying, he mused. You are if you don't listen, old man. The younger man was growing impatient. I don't have anything you want, said the old man as he continued to read the sky. Nobody gets what they want by stealing. What do you know, the young man spat. Stealing is the only way anybody gets anything. There's more people than silver in this world, and there's no such thing as an honest rich man. You either steal or you're stolen from. Either you take or it's taken from you. And you want to be the one who takes, given the choice. I prefer taking. There's not enough to go around. Only a few people get to enjoy the good life. Why shouldn't I be one of them? Everybody pays a price, said the old man. He had stepped around to the other side of the heifer so that there was no longer anything separating him from the thief. The thief tried to mock the old man with a laugh, but it came out sounding nervous. Those buzzards are circling lower, don't you think, said the old man. What's it going to be, old man? You're already used up. There's not even enough meat on your bones to feed a raven. Set down your valuables and walk. A vulture flew just above the younger man, its talons nearly grazing the crown of his head. A black shadow crossed his face, lightless and suffocating. The bird was the only object overhead, but the shadow seemed to linger too long to have been created by its gliding wings. The shadow passed but it left a Stygian mark upon the thief's face. The young man gagged as if he wanted to retch, and his eyes grew big and afraid. Sweat broke out on his forehead, and he quivered as if he were standing in a cold rain. He looked as if a latch had been lifted from some door in his soul, and the pitched truth of every foul deed and every black thought he ever had were poured over him. "'I told you,' said the old man. "'Everybody pays a price.' The old man left the thief like that on the hillside, sick and shivering, with vultures as his only companions. It was dark by the time they reached Hebron. A sun-blistered farmer found them resting under some olive trees and invited them to stay the night. He had a short, chubby little wife who sang as she worked, and while his home was modest, it was clean, and he had plenty of food and feed for Abigail. The old man slept well and before the sun rose the next morning, he and the heifer were heading north, again to the place of the sanctuary. They stayed in the high country and avoided the cities after they left Hebron. The old man kept the rope around the heifer, but he no longer had to pull her in the direction he wanted to go. The pair strolled side by side, making good time through the sparse hill country. The old man talked as they walked together. People are less predictable than cows, he told Abigail. You never know what they're going to do. Take my master. Now there's one who was hard to figure out. 
I was just a baby when he took me in. Never knew what happened to my mother or father. Where they were from, what tribe, nothing. The old man paused for a beat to consider how he was talking to a dumb animal. But he had no one else to talk to. And besides, Abigail was a good listener. He also had a feeling that she understood him. He knocked me around quite a bit when I was a kid. I guess I could be a handful. I was always getting into something. It got worse after his wife died. God rest her sweet soul. She softened him. After she was gone, every last part of him that had some give to it stove up. He became hard, unyielding. Life is stronger than we are, and if you don't bend, you break. So he broke, and I was the collateral damage. When he shattered into pieces, a few shards sliced into me. I can't say that I got past him or that I ever completely moved on. He's a part of me now, as he always has been. I remember this one time when I was still very young, about seven or so. She had passed a couple of years before. I remember it like yesterday. I had this little fishing net, and I had waded out into a little stream. And I was casting the net, trying to catch something. Well, you know me, Abigail. I couldn't catch a turtle, let alone a fish. But I was having fun, and he was watching me. It was just me and him. And he had this look on his face as he watched me that I'd never seen before. A tender look. He even smiled, and he said, Come here, boy. Let me see you. A little bewildered, but anxious as any boy would be to hear some word of approval from his father figure, I came out of the stream and sat down beside him on a log. He kept looking at me that way with that tender look on his face and smiling. He ran his fingers through my hair. He said, I want to tell you something, boy. You know what he said? He said, I want to tell you that you will never be my son. That's what he said. You will never be my son. The old man stroked the heifer's forehead. I don't need to burden you with my childhood stories, he said. The master was good to me. He fed me and gave me a bed to sleep in when he didn't have to. He taught me the ways of the Almighty. I guess you could say I'm pretty fortunate to have known him. He will always be a part of me. Yes, he's with me now. The old man looked at the heifer with soft eyes, disguised in a tangle of unmanageable eyebrows. A little more than a day, and they would be in Shiloh. On the night before they came to Shiloh, the old man dreamed again. This time he was strolling through a wheat field, plucking the grain and rubbing it in his hands so that he could eat. Something ahead of him got his attention. First he felt the warmth on his face, then he caught a whiff of cinders. Finally, he saw a great fire rolling through the dry tinder of the wheat at an alarming speed. There was no use in trying to escape. He could not outrun the fire, and its breadth stretched in either direction as far as his eyes could see. He braced himself knowing that he would be burned alive, but when the fire rolled over him, he was unharmed. He felt its tremendous heat, but instead of being cooked in its scorching flames, he felt an embrace, like a mother's womb. The fire rolled past him and left nothing but ashes in its wake. Curious, the old man knelt down, scooped them up with a finger, and tasted them. The ashes were sweet to the taste. Hungry for more, he began shoveling large handfuls of ashes into his mouth, but he remained hungry. 
He kept gorging himself like that, scooping ashes into his face, until he woke up. The next day they came to Shiloh. Although there was nothing unusual about seeing a man with livestock, the old man and his heifer attracted a lot of attention. Everyone they passed looked up from what they were doing to see the man in his hairy coat leading the rusty-colored heifer to the sanctuary. The priest met them at the courtyard of the sanctuary. He was young, but he looked tired as if he needed a break. He had a long face with a pointed chin. A cluster of warts flanked his left earlobe, and his beard was thin and badly in need of grooming. "'I bring you this fine red heifer,' said the old man proudly. "'She is without blemish, not a follicle of black hair on her. "'I've come all the way from the Negev a four-day journey, "'so that I might present her to the Lord's sanctuary.' "'The priest eyed the old man suspiciously. "'Why did you do that?' "'Why, for the water for impurity, of course.' A red heifer like this one is rare indeed. The old man smiled brightly. The priest was not impressed. I suppose. Just put her with the other livestock in the pen over there. Peace be with you, old man. Wait, said the old man. Aren't you going to bless the heifer before I go? We've come all this way. It would be a shame to deposit her like trash and walk away. The priest had already started to return to his duties and turned back around to the old man. Do you know what we do with red heifers? Yes, but we burn them. All of them. We take them outside the camp, slaughter them, and burn the skin, the flesh, the blood, and the guts. Everything. The old man winced every time the priest emphasized each part of Abigail that was to be burned. A peace offering is shared with the priest. At least it is useful, but what good is a red heifer? Nothing but ashes. What a waste. But it is not a waste, argued the old man. The ashes are used to make the water of impurity for the people, so that they may be purified after becoming defiled. Purified? Do you really believe in all those rituals and offerings? Wake up. You're a foolish old man. But you are a priest. Yes. I had the misfortune of being born into a family that exists for the sole purpose of providing Israel with priests. I didn't apply for the job. It was forced upon me, so here I am. But you are a shepherd of the people until... Look, old man, all I know is that God put me on this earth to slaughter animals and burn them. That is what I've done my whole life, and that is what I'll be doing until the day I die. Now, if you don't mind, I've got several hundred animals to kill today. The priest turned without another word and walked into the courtyard to attend to his duties. Well, girl, I guess this is goodbye. The old man led the little red heifer into the lowing and bleeding pen, full of livestock waiting for their moment to atone for the sins of the people, to decontaminate with blood. There were hundreds of animals, with hundreds going out and coming in every day, one after another, day after day, year after year. They were led to the slaughter by priests who sacrificed them to a righteous God who cannot bear to look upon the impurities of his sinful people. The old man slipped the rope off the heifer's neck and took one last look, closing the gate behind him. Lord, tell me this isn't a waste, he prayed. Then he turned his face toward his home in the Negev, walking briskly with the empty loop of the rope swinging in his hand. Thank you for listening to the Burdens Podcast. While you're waiting on the next episode, 
be sure to visit my website, drewkaiser.com, or follow me on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram to keep up with the latest. Spread the word. Let other people know what we're doing on the Burdens Podcast about the stories that we tell. And if you haven't done it already, uh, leave me a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also leave ratings and reviews, I think, now on Spotify. So if you follow us that way, look and see if you can figure out how to do that. The music you hear is Wasteland by Ross Bugden. The voice at the beginning of the podcast is Wallace Stevens reading his poem, Bantams in Pine Woods. Stay tuned. More stories are coming. See you next time.